But God, there's a couple of things that I want to pray first. I know that Eric is on his on a flight on the way to somewhere. Go to a conference for a week and ask that you would I don't know, I mean praying for the safety of a jet ride. It seems kinda of, you know that. You know how that plane works and every particle and molecule of jet fuel is injected into it. So but God, I do ask that you protect him. Says his danger is not by a mechanical failure. His danger is by a spiritual warfare. So I ask you to protect him on his way from his family. It would be a time that draws near to you as he's somewhere in a hotel room for three or four days. You would draw his heart near to you. Cause him to long miss his wife. Long miss his little Bridger realize that he's just as much in the battle there. God, I also want to pray for Levi. Um, I, 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 I wouldn't want to pray that I'm envious, but camping somewhere and hunting turkeys for a few days and up in Montana. God, you know where they are and what they're doing and what they're about. He and Jared and I ask that you would Protect them too. And the same thing, that it would be a time that gives you glory. They're camping out and hanging out. Take a pretty good few days to do it. Uh, you would protect them in the spiritual fight, that as they sit there and try to make turkey sounds on a box and wander around and the hills and try to find a turkey to shoot, that. God, you'd reveal your glory to them both. You'd give him wisdom to speak to Jared about the things of you. Renew Levi's heart and mind. Cause him to be invigorated for your service. I, I thank you for Becky and Jesse's efforts to, to sing today. Seems to be perpetually come against. God, I ask that you would give us new understanding of how critical it is to to sing in our hearts to psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, truths about you. Cause us to realize that that Sunday mornings really aren't about us singing to feel good about our relationship with you. It's really either a natural outburst or or teaching. That it should be a time when we learn songs so that we can recite them in our hearts, sing them in our hearts, sing them when we're driving, sing them when we're working. To renew our minds, our souls, our spirits, to, to think rightly and correctly of you. God, we're in, heading into a really critical, essential passage. There's some things about it that I don't know that we've ever hit a more important one. It's amazing how they, a lot of them seem to be that way. That's not all of them. I thank you for the profoundness. I ask you to, I guess I ask you today, God, to put a lot of questions in our hearts. We would question our 
our apathy and our numbness. That we would question our perceptions, our, even our laziness. As we read and hear the truths, that we wouldn't just read and hear them. That we would ask ourselves, does this really have meaning to me? Does this really apply? Am I applying it? That's really what it's about. It's about not about waiting for a magic wand to hit us that we'd be changed. We say it's an act of our will to lay our lives down, to lay aside the old man, and to put on the new. It's a matter of obedience. It's not a matter of a fairy death. It's a matter of laying aside the old man and putting on the new. So it causes us to understand or to question a little more what that looks like in our own lives in your kingdom and what you want it to look like. It's all dependent on Jesus and what He did. God, I, I don't know that this, this, this passage in Ephesians is about as straight up as it gets about Jesus. So, please teach us. Jesus, please make Yourself um, known to us. Amen. Ephesians 5. Um, again, I'm not sure that there's... It's about as profound. I was telling somebody this week, I forget who, but I was... It was just profound to me in reading the beginning of this week as I started studying again. Um, I don't know when, Monday or Tuesday or something, I was reading this and, you know, I, I don't know how many times. 40, 50 times I've read through it. And uh, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Um, uh, you know, I, my, my kind of general general uh, direction was last week we talked about the necessary state of our hearts and our minds being renewed and changed so that we could live out... Um, in the kingdom, how God causes to relate to each other because this talks about wives and husbands relating. This talks about children relating to their parents. talks about workers or even slaves relating um, to their masters, which we're going to need to get over the political incorrectness of slavery. It's profound, but how strong that's come. I think it's almost a, an assault. Um, on what God calls us to be. Remember that the word Lord means master. Um, and that's not a bad word. Okay? When it comes to God. So, um, and then it talks about how we, how we fight in a spiritual battle. So I'm kind of thinking, okay, these are kind of my, these are kind of weeks, you know, each one of them. Um, and then I read through five and it just hit me like a ton of bricks one day, Monday, I think it was, and I was starting to study and, I went, man, there's a, there's a dozen things literally in here that are profound. Profound beyond, again, that's, maybe I'm just dense, but that's after reading 40 or 50 times. You know, through the passage, it just hit me harder than, for sure than it ever had. I hope, or I don't hope, that I'm, I do hope. I do hope that today, um, I leave you with more questions, I guess, than I do simple answers um, because there's some there's some things that are said in here a bunch of things that are said in here 
that I am confident all of us need to rethink. Um, so I hope that it spurs us all to go, really? And if we spend the next couple weeks um, considering these questions and trying to look for answers, um, it will be I. Jesus oftentimes, in fact, most of the times, when people continually and consistently ask for easy answers, um, what did he do? He gave him a parable. <laughs> in fact, a tough parable, you know? And you're going, well, I mean, why didn't you just say two plus two is four? And then we could just get on with it, right? And, you know, there's some... John, why don't you go get her one of those new ones you got? You grab the small print one, man. You can't even read those things. John got some new ones. They're so little, you can't even read them. Can you take notes? Yeah. John got some ones that are better. What were they? They were cute. What do you say they were? Pew Bibles or something? Yeah, Pew Bibles. He bought, so we don't have pews, I know. That's kind of a, that's what they're called. So, anyway. <laughs> so, Ephesians 5, but I wanted to, I want to preface it. I want to preface it because Ephesians 5, man, I, I, you know, there's been a side of me. My struggle hasn't been with a dozen things that are tough questions. My struggle has been is, with how do you present this in a way that our cultural opposition doesn't shut our minds down and our hearts down? Because there's a bunch of cultural opposition, radical cultural opposition, um, that and sociological opposition in our that will shut our hearts and our minds down to the truth of what this has to say, because it goes it goes contrary to our flesh and our culture has appeased our flesh in the way it thinks. So, but. I went, let me preface because I, I really believe that this is probably a simplified um, explanation of what's going to be talked about in the last verses of chapter 5. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, um, verse 3, okay? And I can just read it here. But he says, but I want you to understand, okay? This is Paul saying, I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man the man is the head of a woman, and Christ is, and God is the head of Christ. Okay? I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. Okay? We really, really need to get over headship. All of it. We really need to get over being subject. Okay? Because we all are. You know, Jesus was. I mean, that's a pretty radical thing. If you understand the Trinity, then we all want to talk because I don't. But no, it, 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 the Trinity is a tough, tough concept. Okay? But it's a valid concept, a real concept, a very important concept. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are one, right? That's the, that's the Trinity, okay? One. Um, equal in importance, right? And yet, what does it say very clearly? God was the head of Christ. 
Okay. What did what did we week before last on on Resurrection Day celebration? We we talked about Jesus being in anguish, terrible anguish, um, to the point of death. And this was not Benaiah speaking. This was this was Jesus speaking. And and well, you should have seen him yesterday. He had he had one of his meltdowns. So it, it, but it's great. God is teaching him to slay lions. So even if it's a band-aid on his back, but he's teaching him to slay lions. Okay. Okay. And 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 it, it, Jesus is not. Jesus was real tough. Okay. There's no doubt about it. But Jesus was in anguish to death, and he says. Daddy, Daddy, take this away from me. Take this, what's coming upon me, away from me. And and I think it's important to consider, and I've never heard this talked about. Um, yes, he went through the beatings and sufferings to get to where he needed to be to pay for our sins. But that's not what he was so worried about. We sometimes think, gosh, Jesus, you know, you're kind of in anguish, the point of death, you're, you know, you're, you're bleeding, what, you're kind of soft, you know? I mean, a lot of people have gone through beatings. You know, a lot of people have gone through through, through some torturous things. Um, that's not what he was in anguish about. He was in anguish about his father putting the sins of the world on him and therefore the necessity of him turning his back on him. And he'd never been rejected by his father. He'd never felt the rejection of his father. He'd never felt the distance and and the enormity of a dysfunctional relationship with his father because of sin. And that's what he was going to face. That's what he was going to face that he was so traumatized about. Okay, but if, in, in when he was, he was crying out, he said, Daddy, take this away from me. But what did he say? Not my will, but your will. Okay? I, I, I want this taken away. I don't want this. But I am subject to you. I'm subject to you, God. I'm subject to you, my Father. Okay? We, we, and, and is this a bad thing? Was Jesus oppressed? Was Jesus beat up? Is Jesus like second in importance even? Is, Je- is Jesus diminished because he's under the headship authority, subject to his Father God? No. Absolutely not. Okay? This isn't a second place, second rate place. Okay? And, you know, this, this is a wondrous place. Okay? Where, where Jesus stands, where Jesus existed. Where Jesus exists. That his will is subject to the Father. Okay? That's a radical concept. Jesus was under headship and authority and he was subject to his Father. Okay? And this is not a bad place. We need to get over Rejection of our will. Okay? Because this was not a bad place. And as it says, and, and, and then as this transfers down, this is the way God ordered the universe from day one. Okay? This is not a bad thing. This is a good thing. This is, this is you know, it's, it's kind of like the laws that God put in nature. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he reap. Okay? That's not necessarily a bad thing. Okay? Potentially a good thing. You know. The second law of thermodynamics, you know, that God put in place, you know. 
I mean, there, there, there's, there's a lot of laws that God put in place. That's the way it is. To fight Him doesn't work out so well. You know? We can be upset about gravity all we want. Right? But when you realize how fast this world is spinning, you should be really glad for it. You know? I mean, we, we can fight it all we want, but we're not going to be out from underneath that law. And it's the same thing with, with subjecting our, ourselves in headship. I'm, you know, Paul wrote this um, in, in, in the order that he did, um, inspired by God. And, and I don't know exactly why he put the order, but let me read what it says. There's a side of me that when it talks about wives being subject, it talks about husbands loving your wives. It talks about um, but, but the predominance and the most important focal point, in a sense, to understanding is it talks about how how we are the church is under the headship of Jesus Christ, okay? And and we need to understand that, okay? Because if we do not understand, I'll, I'll say it this strongly because the Bible speaks of it this way: if we have a misunderstanding, we don't fully understand God's perspective on husband and wife relationship. And, and what a husband is to be and what a wife is supposed to be, we do not understand our relationship with Jesus Christ in the church. Okay? All right? We can say we have a great relationship with God. You know, it's said all the time. I have a great relationship with God, um, and yet your relationship with your husband sucks? That's not true. Okay? It's not true. Okay? That if you don't understand headship, and the same thing as a husband, you know, I have a great relationship with God. That's my relationship with God. But, and if it wasn't for my wife, man, life would be pretty good. Really? You don't have a good relationship with God. You don't understand your relationship to Jesus Christ. It's that strong. All right? I mean, the two are absolutely interlinked. And this passage says it in a profound way. Okay? That's the thing that really hit me. It says it in a profound way. Okay? It talks about the relationship of Jesus Christ to the church. And there's a side of me that wants to take and go from that perspective and work backwards in a sense. Okay? Um, rather than the immediate walls and objections that we have okay, to, to the initial statement. But let me read it. is one of those dozen things that hit me like a ton of bricks. Do we really understand what it means and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ? Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the Savior of the body. As the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle 
or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. So husbands also, so, so husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, profound, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each individual among you also love his own wife, even as himself. And let the wife see to it that she respects her husband. So, I hope that you read it well enough to be troubled. Um, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of, I guess the, 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 the things that struck me was that there, there's a whole mouthful of counter-cultural, counter-Christian cultural things stated in there. Okay? A whole bunch of them. One, let me, let me run through the little list I made up the other day doing it. Being subject to one another. What does that mean? I, I, don't, I don't know that that's, that's not a suggestion. That's one of those things that he says that's a commandment. So what does that mean? Be subject to one another? Okay? What does that mean? Be nice guys when you walk in? It should be troubling. What does it mean? The other one is in the fear of Christ. Fear of Christ? I thought, I thought Jesus Christ was this really nice guy. What am I supposed to fear him for? I thought Jesus Christ was that guy that I've seen in pictures all my life that doesn't look like there's anything to fear about him. Okay? He looks like some kind of a passive hippie. You know? So, it, it, you know what, what does it mean in the fear of Christ? What, what does that mean? And the word, be very clear about this, and this is something that I have to say that I am trying to understand um, myself, because the word is phobia. Okay? That means terrifying fear. Okay? What does, you know, in fact, it's the same word used in the end in verse 33. And I'm not sure if it's politically correct the way it's translated or if this really means in the fear. Okay? Because in the end it says, in verse 33 it says, see to it, and, and the wife see to it that she respect her husband. That word in Greek is the same word, the fear of Christ. It's phobia. Okay? It means terrifying fear. Well, that's not very politically correct. Okay? So, what does it mean? What is he saying? What is that relationship supposed to look like? In this, we can avoid it and say, I don't like that and I don't want to deal with it, therefore I'm just going to read over it. And I really like the fact that it says respect. That's tough enough. Okay? Especially considering the state of most husbands. No. The truth is, None of us are always respectable. Okay? The truth is that none of us are always respectable. It doesn't say respect your husbands and they're respectable. Okay? It says it exists in this state of fear is the word. And fear, we, we, we already struggle with that. I mean, in, in this body, 
prior, years ago, I mean, there was a, a fairly major conflict. In fact, a conflict to the point that people left basically over, okay? Guys, existing elders at the time, okay? There is no fear of God in my relationship with him. And I want to duck, you know? I mean, I'm thinking, really? No, that's Old Testament. God is love in the New Testament. You know, let's let's be very clear about something. That it, it is time. I, I looked, went through all the statements this week in the Bible where it uses the word phobia, where it uses the word fear. Old Testament, New Testament, because there's a there's a same Old Testament Hebrew word that correlates with the thing. There's over 165 times in the Bible where it says to fear God. And that the fear of God is not only a good thing, but an essential thing. It's a right relationship with Him. Okay? What does that mean? Do we understand that? Because it's the same thing in the fear of Christ. What does that mean? I mean, we can lightly read over that, um, but we would be wrong to do that. Okay? Because the fear of God is essential to having a right relationship with Him. Okay? So, in, in, I mean, it, it's stated time and time and time and time again. All right, is an essential element of our relationship with Him. Okay, so what do we understand what that means? A, a, the head of the wife. Okay, what, what does it mean that husband is the head of the wife? What, what does that mean? That means you get the boss around, tell her what to do. You know. I, I doubt that, okay? I'm doubting that. Again, I'm not looking to give answers here. I'm really looking to raise some questions. Do we understand what this is calling us to? Okay? What the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, do we consider that and have a clear view of Christ as the head of the church? I think not. Okay? I think we're going to have a very hard time understanding what the husband is, that, is, is to be as the head of the wife when we don't understand. Because it says, the example of that, the understanding of that comes from the, the perfect example of Christ as the head of the church. Okay? Do we understand that Christ is our head? We've talked a lot of, in the last, because... The, the, the words talked about it as we've been going through it about the body and the body functioning as the body, right? The individual members in Christ is the head. This is a reference back to speaking the same thing. Okay? Not only physically, and he's going to talk about it physically because he's talking physically about the body. We diminish again this word body because it happens to be, I, I would think that probably when we were kids, um, you know, it would probably have greater meaning when it talks about body because now it's become the the name, the cultural word for the church. That's a cool word, okay? You know, we say members of the church, we used to say, or we used to say church members, or we used to say something that, that was in order. Now we say the body because that's the cool word, okay? You know, we say, true? I mean, we say the, the body is much more hip, you know, is much more hip in talking about the church. Um, do we really understand? Though, I mean, as we've talked about it, do we understand the implications of calling us the body? Okay. Again, is it the sum of a bunch of body parts that come up and 
sit around in chairs and and pretend like we're all united? Or is it a functioning body that's living? Christ as the head of the church is really, really important. Okay? And, and, and it's essential for us to understand what husband being head of the wife looks like. There's a radical statement that he makes. and I mean, how many of you have thought about that? For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. Okay, Here's the example. Here, here, is, here is the emulation we as husbands are to have too. He himself being the savior of the body. How does that relate to husbands and wives? Being the savior of the body? I mean, that's a pretty... That's a pretty radical statement. Okay? I mean, I doubt if there's too many wives that go, oh yeah, he was my savior. Right? You don't have to say that, honey. <laughs> but, 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 but what does that look like? Okay? Because that's the example he gives. The savior of the body. Okay? Do we understand why he says that? Um, says for that, But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her. What does sanctify mean? Sanctify means to make holy. That's what the word sanctify means. To make holy. That's a huge word. That, okay, and, and again, I really, what we really need to do is, is get out of our objectionable state and box and mindset. And, and, and what I would really like to try to do and move towards is let's look at Christ's relationship to the church and realize the beauty and the wonder of, of being in that position. Okay? Let, let, we, that's where we need to go. We need to realize that the blessed state that we are with Christ as our head in the church. Okay? This isn't objectionable. This isn't to be run away from. This isn't to be rebelled against, although it is, but it isn't to be if we understand what that really means and what that really looks like. Okay? And if, you, and if we will, let me just say this. I guarantee that if you, if, if we can get this image of what it says the husband is to be, this will be a place that every woman will think is blessed. Okay? This will, this will be a place. Now, obviously, the necessity is for the husband to live this out. Okay? But if you understand a husband's calling and what he's called to do, this isn't a fearful state. This is a wondrous state to go into. This isn't something that's hard, you know. Why was Jesus so able to... Jesus never fought against the headship of his father. Right? Because he knew the nature and character of his father. He knew the nature and character of God. And he absolutely trusted him. And he more than distrusted him, he was absolutely dependent on him. Okay? He realized his perpetual and continual... even Even though... He was, he and God were one. He realized his utter necessity of dependency on God. Okay? And this was a, a sweet state. 
Just as, where would we be as the church without Jesus Christ? Okay? How, how, how would we be doing? Uh, number one, we'd be going to hell. Okay? We'd be in a terrible state. Right? And, 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 I mean, without Jesus Christ, uh, we'd be in big trouble. We are completely dependent on Jesus Christ. As, as the church, to function as a church, to have a right relationship with God. And, and again, the, the order of the, the chain of authority that God puts in our lives, it, this is not for oppression. This is for blessing. And it is not a state of, of diminished value. Okay? Again, it, 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 this is a, this is a order that God put in place in order for us to be able to live fully and completely, we are always under authority. Get out of our minds the lie that Satan tells us. I am my own God. I, I, I march to my own drummer. I march to my own beat. I do what I want to do. That's a lie from the pit of hell, Right? The biblical understanding, the true understanding, not just biblical understanding, the absolute truth of the universe is we are born in subjection to the principalities and powers of this world. Okay? Satan runs this world. We are born in bondage to sin. We are born in opposition to God. Okay? Until you, we realize that, do we realize our desperate need for God? Let me make something very clear. If we believe that our relationship with God is something that adds to my life, and I seek God because He adds to my life, makes my life better, blesses my life, okay? If that's what we believe, your relationship with God is, is only beginning, but you're not born again. It is not till, till we come to the point of realizing our absolute necessity of dependency on God a desperate need for a Savior, that we have a right relationship with God. And you say, well, I don't, I don't understand that. I don't know that. Well, that's be about understanding truth. Okay? Because if we don't need, realize the desperate need for a Savior, okay? and this isn't, this, well, I, I, you know, I'm not a drug addict, and I'm not a, I'm not a murderer, and I'm not all those things that have a desperate need for God. You don't realize how you stand. You don't understand your sin. You don't understand the desperate need for reconciliation between you and God. And that's essential. And we are completely and totally dependent on Jesus Christ for that. Okay? It's a... And that becomes a whole... a whole other deal. That we are completely under His authority. Completely dependent on Him. Okay? And, and, and how does he respond to that? How does he live in that? Cleanse her by the washing of water and the word. What's that mean? Okay. The speaking of Christ in the church first. But, but be sure that the examples directly and absolutely correlate to husband and wife. Okay. He's speaking of Christ in the church, but he makes it very clear this is the example you're to follow. This is what you're to emulate. Jesus Christ's relationship to the church, okay? As a husband to your wife, okay? So this is a, to, to understand 
First, I believe it's important to understand cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. What does that mean? Okay. Very important. We're to love our wives as their own bodies. Husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. Well, what does that mean? Okay. I mean, this becomes a a really confused thing in our culture. Because if you go to the gym, you would see a tremendous desire to love your own body. Okay? You would see that expressed strongly. Is that what he's saying? Is that what he's talking about? That we are to love our, feel really good about our bodies and that that's how we're to feel about our wives? Okay? In fact, I thought we aren't supposed to necessarily be conceited and love our own bodies. But what does it mean that we are to love our wives as our own bodies? That's a pretty important one. I mean, it, it, in, unless we understand what it means to what he's talking about when he says that we are. He, the, the given is we are, we do. In fact, he makes a statement, no one ever hated his own body. Well, what's that mean? I can guarantee you there's a room full of women that at some point have all hated their bodies. That's just the way our culture beats up and trashes on them. Is that what he means? Is that what he's talking about? Hating our body? Hating the way we look? That's naturally going to be a a very difficult hurdle to overcome in order to understand what he's talking about here. Loving your body and hating your body. What does he mean? I can tell you the answer is this. Okay? We won't necessarily go there today. But the answer is this. The answer lies in, our, in a biblical understanding of love and hate. Okay? It's, again, love does not mean liking a whole, whole, whole bunch. That's not what it means. And hatred does not mean disdaining a whole, whole, whole bunch. Okay? The biblical definition of those words... As, as defined by the Bible. Because again, agape is a very vague word in, in Greek. It really doesn't have a meaning that, that was even used much. But agape love, which is the love that he talks about, is the defining word of Christianity. Okay? We should probably understand what it is. Okay? And we shouldn't understand it by Greek culture. We're going to understand nothing. It had almost no meaning in Greek culture. It was a word that he chose to use to, to, to build and to define within the confines of Scripture. It was a word in a sense that didn't have a strong sociological meaning. So he could define it, what it looks like, what it means, okay, in Scripture. And unfortunately, we've done the converse now, is we read into Scripture our cultural definition of what love is, rather than letting it be defined by the Word of God. And we need to do that. I wish we'd come up with another word almost because our cultural definition of love is, is, is tragic and has virtually nothing to do, very, very little to do with the biblical understanding of agape love. In understanding loving your body and understanding not hating your body has everything to do with biblical definition. Okay? That hatred is not talking about having having disgust or disdain towards. The biblical definition of hatred is neglect. The biblical definition of, of 
of hatred is the disregard. And this not only has a very important effect right here, it has a profound effect on reading the Scriptures. Because we become very self-righteous when we read that you're not to hate your brother. Oh, I don't hate anybody. I like everybody, especially in today's world, right? I get along with everybody. Every, I, I don't hate anybody. And so we feel pretty good about ourselves. Do you disregard anybody? Do you not treat... Are you, are you living out the opposite of love? And what does that mean? To subject yourselves? To regard as more important? To put under an importance? That's what subject means. Subject doesn't mean um, subjected to waterboarding, you know? We're going to hold you down and tie you down and subject you to this. Okay? Subject is talking about positions of authority. Okay? That's what subject means. It means to, to, to render underneath, subject itself in a, in a position of authority to. Doesn't, it's not talking about value. It's not talking about importance. It's talking about surrender under authority, putting under authority. And what it, what's it say right here? Subject, you know, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. What does that mean? Do we really do that with each other? Or do we hold ourselves as more important? I mean, when we're here, we're nice to each other and whatnot. But afterwards, how about the rest of the week? Do we really regard each other as more important than ourselves? Uh, he says that's how it's supposed to look. That's what it's supposed to mean. Loving is critical. Okay? He who loves his wife loves himself. I thought we're not supposed to love ourselves. What does that mean? We're not supposed to think I'm, I'm pretty special. In fact, we have this... We have, within Christianity, we have, it makes me so angry. We're so full of colloquialisms or, or sayings or statements that, that kind of show humility. Which humility, we would describe as, well, I don't think too highly of myself, right? We say, I'm just a sinner, right? That means I don't think too highly of myself. I'm just a sinner. Well, wait a minute. It's saying here that it's essential and critical to love yourself. What does that mean? I'm, you know, is that to have a high view of myself? Is that to, is that to be arrogant or proud? No. It certainly would not because that would be contrary to the rest of scriptures. So what does it mean? The one who loves his wife loves himself. Okay? How does that really mean? You know, the, the words hate, it says for no one, where, where are we? For no one ever hated his own flesh that nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. I actually think that the New International Version, reading through it, and maybe even the new, what's your say in verse, Edgar, you have one of those. What does uh, verse 29 say? Okay. Seer still says cherishes. Does anybody have an international version? Okay. We're straightened up here. So. <laughs> no. New international version, I think, says it more correctly. 
the, the word is a direct literal translation, cherishes the actual word in Greek, okay? Unfortunately, in our culture, you probably have it, Jeff, right there in front of you. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, where do we live in this world? Because the word, the word again, cherish, and we've talked about this already a lot over the last couple of years, okay? What, what does the word literally mean, cherish? Okay? To keep warm. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. No, not at all. It, it, it does not have that meaning. I mean, all women want to say, you're supposed to cherish me. That means I get to poly, I get to do my nails and, and I don't have to go work out there and do that. You're supposed to cherish me. You're supposed to treat me as a fine piece of china or something. And, and I don't necessarily want to go into what's right and wrong in that, but that is not what this word is saying. Okay? The word nourish and cherish are two words that go very well together. Okay? One is feeding and keeping and caring for is really, I think, is what the New International Version says. Is that what it says? There you go. Okay. And, and what's it, that's a very, very... I'm not saying that we aren't supposed to, in our as our culture depicts cherish, that that necessarily is a wrong thing to do to our wives. Okay? All right? But that's not what this is saying. Right? And it's very important to understand it that way. We don't get just to interpret this verse and hold it out there and say, you're supposed to cherish me, so go to the store and buy me some chocolate. You know, Whatever it might be. Okay? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Feed me. Make dinner. But the implication here is very, very important. It's as... It, it's a, as Christ does the church, okay? And, and it's as we are supposed to, as we nourish and care for our own bodies. This is the, this is the critical thing that is speaking of here, okay? Do we have to tell Jesus Christ our needs? Or does he already know? Okay? I would, he already knows them, okay? Now, what is prayer then? Besides, often pathetic, pardon me, you know? Prayer is not to be about informing God of what we need. Be very clear about that, okay? God already knows what we need, okay? We don't need to be telling God what he's missing because maybe he's sleeping. Hey, God, wake up here, you know? You need to pay attention because I, you know, look at, look at this. You don't think, he already sees it. He already knows it. The important, and it's really critical that we understand because this is talking about how we are to love our wives. Okay? And, and let me just say this very clearly. This completely eliminates dumb guys, insensitive guys, insensitive husbands. Okay? Period. Because if you acted that way towards your own body, what would happen? You'd die. You'd die. Okay? If you didn't eat when you're, what's it saying? When I, does somebody need to tell me when I'm hungry? Does somebody else from outside need to tell me when I need to eat? Does somebody tell, need to tell me when it's, when it's, you know, 
zero degrees outside and I'm walking out there in a t-shirt and I decide I want to hang out outside for 12 hours. Somebody need to tell me that's not going to go well. Okay? No. Nobody needs to tell me. Why? Because I inherently know it. Right? What's he saying about husbands in their, what's he say about Jesus Christ in their, in, in, in his understanding of his, us in the church? Okay? Does he know? Is he cognitive of our needs? Is he cognitive of our lives and what's happening in our lives? His responsibility is to nourish and to cherish as his own body is the implication. Okay? Because we are the body of Christ. And his, in, in the statement here is, he nourishes and cherishes us as his own body. Right? In other words, he knows exactly our needs. He knows inherently exactly our needs. That is the charge of a husband. Okay? That is the charge of a husband. No more, in, I mean, tell me, women, does that not sound like a glorious thing? Okay? This doesn't sound like a this doesn't sound like a dangerous position. I've got a knucklehead, insensitive husband, right? If, he, if 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 I don't take care of my needs, if I don't express my needs, if I don't keep him going down the right track, he's going to stumble and bumble and completely miss out, right? I mean, look at our culture. What a pathetic culture, you know? We think that being sensitive is doing what? Buying flowers on Valentine's Day, right? That's a sensitive husband. Why I hate it. I hate Valentine's Day. Okay? Because it, that's the expression of what a man is supposed to be. So sensitive. He buys flowers on Valentine's Day. If you think that is going to buy you something or express sensitivity, you're a fool. You're a fool. Okay? This is something that he says 365 days of the year. You're supposed to read your life. You're supposed to know your life. You're supposed to know her needs. Well, that sounds like a pretty extreme. Yeah, that's right. As Christ loved the church. Okay? Become one flesh. Okay? Is another question. For this cause, a man shall leave his father. Now, now I'm just going to preface this because he does it afterwards. He says, this is talking about Christ in the church. Really? Have you ever considered that this is talking about Christ in the church? For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave or unite to his wife. And the two, that's talking about sexuality. And the two shall become one flesh. And he says, this mystery is great. Or NIV, this mystery is profound. Okay? But I am speaking with reference to Christ in the church. How many of you ever thought about the two, a man and a woman, being absolutely becoming one flesh in sexuality, that that is a representation, a direct representation of Christ in the church? Okay? This says this. This, this the, the word says that. Okay? And in our inability to do that, and our repulsion to do that, and our shutdown on doing that, and our blocks and our minds about doing that, let me just say this. Display one thing. Our perverse understanding of purity. Okay? Our, 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 our 
cultural trampling and trashing on our consciousness about purity and sexuality. This is what sin has stained our mind and destroyed our, 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 our view of, of sexuality as God has created it to be. Because if we had an understanding of sexuality as God created it to be, this would be the glorious, beautiful expression that he's saying right here. Yeah? Profound truth. Right? This isn't David trying to correlate something together. This is how God sees it. This is what God says. So, are we going to get this while we still are have God's view of purity? I mean, while we still do not have God's view of purity, have this world view of purity, we're not going to get it. Okay? We're, and so what aren't we going to get? We're not going to get what our relationship to Jesus Christ is. Okay? We are not going to get what our relationship to Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ, God created from day one, cleaving, becoming one, united, sexually uniting with your wife under a covenant relationship to represent Jesus Christ's relationship with the church. From day one, he created it to represent that. Okay? So, if we do not, if we remain stained, confused in our understanding of sexuality and purity, um, we're going to have a very, very, no, impossible time understanding what Christ's relationship to the church is. Okay? I'll say it that strongly because that's what the Bible says. This is an expression of Christ's relationship to the church. So, what needs to take place for me to understand my relationship with Jesus Christ? Individually and corporately. We need to come to his understanding of purity. We need to come, we need to, we need to be, wa- what does he say? He says we can be washed white as snow. Maybe, that, maybe that's why I like winter so much. I don't ski or snowboard, but I love winter. And I think, I think the reason I love winter is just because it's white as snow. It, it, to me, it just seems like purity. You know, I, I, the reflection of light. You know, it's the illumination of darkness. I mean, you go out even on a starry night in the winter and it's bright. Now that the snow's gone from the yard, man, there's no moon. It's pretty dark out there. I love snow. It just it reflects light. And, and we can be washed, he says. I mean, I'm not sure how relative this was necessarily to most of those Jews in Judea. I don't know how often they saw snow, you know, or how covered it was and, you know, how, how much the landscape was. I don't know. I've never looked at a record of how often it snowed in Jerusalem. Okay? I don't think a lot for some reason. It doesn't seem like next to the Mediterranean it snowed a whole lot. But, but that's a profound object lesson. Us living in the mountains, we can relate to that. That's what God wants to do, is wash us. That's what, that's what the work of the cross absolutely and completely will do, can do, should do, needs to do, is wash us white as snow. Okay? Gone. Understanding purity. The stain of sin. That statement, that statement that's an Old Testament statement, is a profound one. It says, it says, to those who fear him. So again, the understanding of fearing God is critical. 
We're washed white as snow. You need to go? Yeah. Okay, that's fine. It's good to see you. It's good to see you, Jason. Don't be such a stranger. Okay. So, become one flesh, Christ in the church, loving your wife as yourself. Okay? Nevertheless, let each individual among you also love his own wife, even as himself. What does it mean to love yourself? And let the wife see to it that she respect her husband. Again, the word is fear. There's been a pretty, pretty strong study and a, and a positive study. I would go to the extent of saying life study, life-changing study with the women on trying to understand what respect your husband means. Right? That's a pretty, that, that's pretty strong. I, I would suggest that possibly it even needs to go another step further, you know, in what it looks like. Okay? Because again, the word is fear. And it's, it's the same word for fear of Christ. It's the same word for fearing God um, that is used. Okay? What does that mean? I mean, again, don't look at me. I didn't say it. You know? You know, and, and, and be very clear about this. It, the, the wording in, in how, how he, he says it right there, and let the wife see to it that she respect her husband. This is not about men dominating women. Okay? This is not, my wife is not subject to the authority of other men besides his brother and sister. Okay? This is not men or an authority over women. Okay? That's not what it says. It's talking about the specific individual relationship, and it makes it very clear, okay, of a husband to a wife. The Bible is very clear. The Bible is clear after that to understand because otherwise a wife is under the authority of her father. Okay? A daughter before being a wife. When she becomes a wife, she's no longer under my authority. My daughter is not under my authority, okay? As a father to a daughter. Becky is. Jesse isn't, okay? Jesse's under the authority of her husband, okay? Becky's under my authority. And, and so what happens in, if, if you're a widow, or what happens if you don't have a husband, or what happens there? The New Testament talks about then you're under the authority of elders, as fathers, is put in that place, Okay? That that's what God intended to, to put in that place. And, and again, this sounds bad. I don't want it, you know. And, there, and there's a pr- profound willingness in our culture for us as husbands, not only to, I mean, the reason that, I, I believe the reason that this is so countercultural and so um, seems ob- so objectionable is because we have been first extremely pathetic fathers as a culture. Um, number one and number two, pathetic elders in the church, and number three, even worse so, pathetic husbands. So it's very difficult to understand um, because we haven't been obedient as husbands. We haven't been obedient as fathers. Um, we haven't acted as elders. That this is a this is a blessed place, um, a, a wondrous place to be. You know, I mean, I can. I mean, Becky, is it a terrible place you're under my authority? Of course, you have to say that or you speak outside. 
But I, I, I would, you know, it's not because I'm such a great dad. Um, you know, I have a godly daughter that I'm very grateful for. But it, it's, it's a sweet place, wouldn't you say? I mean, don't you find it as being a place of, I don't want to put words in your mouth, of course I've got to say this thing, but um, it's not a place of subjection or oppression. Would you say it fair that it's a place of freedom? Well, yeah, things didn't go well then sometimes. But it wasn't just with me that things weren't free, right? I mean, it was, it was oppressed in a lot of different ways. To beat up in a lot of ways. Place of safety. There you go. I think that's absolutely true. Freedom doesn't mean not having boundaries. Okay? Freedom means the, free, the ability to live within boundaries. Um, let's be very clear. We all, there's all, all of us. We, we need to get over our idea that we are God. Okay? Okay? That I am God who makes my own decisions and determines my destiny. Okay? That is how arrogant it is. We don't say we're God. We don't think we're God. We don't, we wouldn't use such a word because that would sound really arrogant. But it's critical and essential that we understand our worldview becomes that, that we are not God. Okay? And that we are people under authority. And that this isn't a bad thing. Again, it's the same thing. We, you know, I, there's a, there's a show on, um, that we've watched a few times that, you know, it's about looking up your ancestry and figuring out your ancestry. Um, you know, and it's a pretty interesting show. They, they do a lot of, I mean, they do DNA research, you know, stuff on doing it on it, but it's pretty, They've got unlimited funds to look back. Um, I, I, I would have to say at this point, I'm watching it three, a couple times, maybe three times or something. Um, the host of the show is racist. Um, he's black, but he, he incites racism. You know? he, he, he incites the whole thing. He always wants to bring up, well, there were slaves in your past. You know, your, your great, great, great grandfather had slaves. You know, and he, and he talks. You know, this is a terrible thing, and and, I, and obviously, that in order to make the thing, you know, work good, we want to see who, whatever, I don't know, Brad Pitt's ancestry is, you know, to know whatever we came from, and so they they use famous people oftentimes to to talk about it, and you know, he's you know, you're you know, you you were yeah, slave owners, you know, in your background doing this, and it, there's such a cultural adversity. To slaves, we we need to stop. And I just ask you to consider this again: this question that that we see, we have this this high God perspective. We think it's from God, manifest destiny, that we can we can exude and, and live out and be fulfilled in capitalism, right? And that means that I am free to pursue and excel in whatever way I want, right? And we hold capitalism as a virtue. We, we hold your, we hold our ability to 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 gain wealth okay? in, as as one of the highest virtues that we hold on to in our in our country and culture. No, do 
like to stop that. In fact, we, we tend to, to relegate real closely, far too closely, financial prosperity with the blessing of God. Okay? And we relegate subsistence living in financial matters. What's subsistence living mean? That means making enough to get by. That means having everything you need. Not everything you want. Not, not a, your future completely protected and covered. Subsistence living means that you're living day to day. We relegate that as not godly. Okay? But that's a loser. Okay? That's somebody going nowhere, doing nothing. Okay? What is, do you realize that most, what most of this world would think about having enough to eat, enough shelter, enough clothing to get by every day and being comfortable and confident in that state that every day you get by, they would think, this is glorious. Okay? This is glorious success. Right? That I don't have to worry about food or shelter or clothing. You know, because I, I have my daily needs. What do I need? Daily needs. Really do you any good to have enough for the next 10 years? No. It doesn't matter. But in our culture, we hold such a high virtue that you are climbing, that you are achieving, that you are successful, quote. Um, and yet, we, we, it's important for the kingdom of God because what, what, does, what did he say? He says, don't worry about your daily needs. Even when Jesus taught us how to pray, did he say, pray for your retirement? Or did he say, pray for your daily bread? Pray for your daily needs. And he wasn't just kidding. And he wasn't just a poor Jew that didn't know any different. Okay? This was Jesus telling us what we asked of God. Telling us how to, how to, how to go to our Father and what we should be asking for. Okay? We should be going asking for our daily bread. And be thankful. In most of the world, can you imagine going to Bangladesh and trying to explain to him, them how subsistence living is a pretty demeaned, unsuccessful, loser state of existence, they would look at you like, you're a spoiled, rotten idiot. That if I had my daily bread, that if I had my daily need and my daily subsistence, and, and we, we as a culture need to get, we as a church, we as church people, um, need to realize that, that our Father supplying our daily needs is a wondrous state of existence. Okay? We, need to, we need to be very careful about transferring our cultural value into that. So, I have, let me read them again, topics for explanation, put them, be subject to one another. In the fear of Christ, head of the wife, Christ is head of the church, Savior of the body, that's what we're to be, that he might sanctify her. What does it mean to sanctify her? Cleansed, cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. As their own bodies. What does it mean to love our wives as their own bodies? How do, what does it mean to love our wives as we love ourselves? What does it mean that no one ever hated his own body, but nourishes it and cherishes it? What does it mean that becoming, what does it mean, how does it relate, what does it look like 
becoming one flesh in Christ and the church. What what does that mean, that we become one flesh? It's very tied in with what we talk about being the body of Christ. Right? We are the body of Christ. We are that manifestation on earth. Okay? And how does he relate to that? How does he relate to his body on earth? How does he nourish and cherish his body on earth? Because understanding that and how how we relate to that are very important. What does it mean to love our wife as ourselves? And what does it mean to respect or fear a wife to fear or respect her husband? What does that look like? There's something else that that is of a profound nature, and I'll stop on this because it's something that I asked you. We've talked about we've talked about the expectation that God has on our lives. We've talked about that a lot. And and it's again, are we saints or are we sinners? Right? We've talked about that a lot. And what is God's expectation in our life? I heard it expressed in, in some pretty intense time and counseling in the last couple of weeks, um, it was expressed a couple of times that um, by a couple of young, on-fire um, little girls that are in pursuit of God, um, nothing to do with gender there, but that, God, no, God's all right with us being in habitual sin. We can still flourish in our relationship with Him. Okay? Um, is that really what it says? Is that really God's expectation? There's a there's a profound statement that I'd like. I don't know if it's stated any more clear than right here. Okay, about what Jesus' purpose is towards the church. Let me just read it here, and I'd like to leave us with this because we have completely diminished and lost sight of God's call to holiness. Okay, we have said God doesn't call us holy. That's that's the Episcopal Church or something. That's 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 something else. We we're just God loves us and we and He's fine with the way we are. Okay? But holiness, you know what what does that mean that God calls us to be holy? This this is Christ's purpose for the church. And I and I would like you to listen to this, okay? This is what he says. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. That means the church is to be subject to Christ in everything. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, there is never a stronger representation of a knight in shining armor. Jesus Christ laid his life down for the church, that he might sanctify her, that he might make her holy. This isn't dispositional in heaven someday. This is Christ's relationship to the church now. Okay? This is experientially what we are supposed to be experiencing in our relationship of, as the bride of Jesus Christ. Okay? That he might sanctify her. What is his purpose? Why did he lay his life down, as it says? Okay? He gave himself up for her. Why? That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, 
that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. Why did he lay his life down? Why did he give himself up for us? I don't know there's a more direct understanding and interpretation. He laid, gave himself up for her that he might make us holy, sanctify us, that we should be, that we should be, not figuratively, not positionally in heaven someday, but right now is the living, functioning body of Christ that we should be holy and blameless. Okay? That is the process. That is the process. Okay. And there's also, it, this puts a tremendous onus on husbands. Sometimes there's a lot of objection when I put the responsibility of the husband. I, I have a very strong feeling, I believe it's true. If a man wants to, I don't need to talk to a man about his relationship with God to learn his relationship with God. I would probably most of the time be far better off to spend some time with his family. Okay? Let me, let me sit down with your wife and kids. We'll talk about reality. Okay? I mean, you can say what you want. I'll, I'll judge a man by his wife and his kids. Why? Because God put that onus on the husband. Okay? Does Jesus take that responsibility to wash his church and present her spotless and blameless? Jesus took that responsibility. Is it completely, is it dependent on Jesus? Yes. A husband-wife relationship is there too. I'm not taking away responsibility from a wife. She's called as strongly as the husband is. She's accountable to God as strongly as her husband is. Okay? But the position of a husband to sanctify his wife is given and is clear. Okay? That is our responsibility. That is our response. Now, we're not going to do that by beating him with the Bible. Although I did that once and helped my wife's hand. <gasps> what was that called? The, they, the doctor told me to do it, okay? All right. Literally. What? It's called the Bible, sis. She's got this big old lump on her wrist right here. You know, it was sticking up about half an inch. It's a big old hard ball. And, and, and the doctor says, you need to have your husband... That's what it's called, actually, the name of it. Is the Bible. You need to have your husband hit you with the Bible. Literally. Okay? And I said no. And I refused to do it for months. I said, I'm not going to hit you. I don't want to hit her, number one. Number two, you know, not, not that this is... I mean, I, this is not a holy book. This is a book, you know. But finally she said... You know, it hurts. This is not working. It's not going away. It really bothers me. That's the way he said to get rid of it. I said, okay, whack. And I, I smacked it with the Bible and it's gone. Literally, one time. It's gone. I mean, it went away because it's supposed to do that. That isn't the way we typically sanctify our wives, okay? Make them holy. I'd have to hit her on the head to accomplish much anyway. But... <laughs> But I, but, but I, I don't. And that's not what God calls me to do. Okay, because that isn't going to get it done. The way the way we get it done is the same is a representation of Jesus Christ by laying our lives down. Okay, by regarding it's more important 
a willingness to lay our lives down. Um, so, I hope that there's enough in here that you guys will be challenged in the next few weeks to read it. And read it. And read it. Okay? Again, like I said, I, I've told you before that oftentimes I, I have that kind of light bulb come on and, you know, sometimes about the 15th time or something I read it, you know, it seems like you go through the first five times in the section of scripture and I'm reading it and then sometimes i got to push myself a bit from five to ten or something like that, you know, you kind of go, oh yeah, I need to read this and you kind of read it and then it seems like the light kind of comes on. I can tell you, man, this is profound that, that I went, oh my, this is, this, there's so much here, okay, and what he's talking about. And there is so much new understanding of what the husband-wife relationship is supposed to look like. And let me say it beyond that, there is so much greater understanding of what Christ and the church relationship is supposed to look like. And, let me confirm again, there is no way to understand one without the other. Clearly and truthfully. Okay? The two are absolutely intertwined in our relationship with God, in our, our relationship with Jesus Christ, is the example of our relationship of our husbands and wives and how we're to act. So, that should be our prayer and that should be your pursuit. It has to be to understand. And you can say, well, I'm not married. All the more important to understand what marriage should look like. Right? Because it's critical to understanding our relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay? Just as important. Married or unmarried. Okay? Just as important. Let's pray. God, I thank you for that you didn't just leave us without example. You didn't just leave us groping in the darkness. You created the institution of marriage. You created the institution of intimacy and becoming one flesh. From the beginning to represent our relationship with Jesus Christ. And I don't know, maybe the truth is we don't really understand either one of them without correlating and working together to understand the two relationships. Because if our relationship with Christ, with the church is, because it is. We believe that you're fine with us being adulterers towards you, with us being partially committed, with us holding things back in reserve, which looks like an adulterous marriage, with us serving you the way we want, which goes completely contrary, with us not truly being subject to you, because that, that looks like a that looks like what marriage is okay and acceptable in. And I and, that, and so therefore we live out our marriages that way. We live out our marriages believing that that's an acceptable form of marriage. So that translates into our understanding of our marriage with you. Just like we have perverse understanding of loving our bodies and hating our bodies, not from your perspective, not as you see them, but as our culture sees them. We define how we relate to each other by that. God, I, I didn't know that there's. it's such a critical starting point to be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And that is such a mouthful. That is such a profound, revolutionary statement. 
and how we're to function with each other. It doesn't say it's not speaking of be subject to everyone in the earth. It means being subject to one another as brothers and sisters in a fear of you. And are we? Are we subject to one another? Or we just be nice to each other? Do we truly subject ourselves? Put ourselves under importance? Stepping down in importance and elevating in importance each other? Because that's critical. And we, do we do that? In the fear of Christ? Because that's the only correct motivation. And yet, do we even understand what a healthy fear of Jesus Christ looks like? So God, I ask that you would challenge us. Challenge us. I'm I'm confident the sweetest thing that could happen today isn't any truth or understanding of truth that I could display. The sweetest thing that could happen would be that my brothers and sisters go read this and be be troubled before you by it, by our own minds. Because if any of us are not challenged on some level, and probably profoundly, in regard to our own lives by this passage, then we're not listening. So God, I ask that you you would challenge you would challenge all of us, these people that I love, these people that you've caused me to love, that you've called me to love. Like I ask that you would challenge us to understand what it means to have a right relationship with you. Because that's really what this boils down to and the essential foundation. For your glory, for your kingdom, God. Teach us from your word. Amen.